Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the show, The Hero Beside Me, where we explore the professional and private lives of working dogs. I'm your host, Shauna T, and today I'm talking with Gina, Tony, and Richard from Next Step Service Dogs about the value and importance that a psychiatric service dog can bring to someone with PTSD or traumatic brain injury. We'll be doing our interview outside because due to COVID, we are not indoors today. So you might hear wind, birds chirping, the occasional car passing by. So please just give us grace. So I want to introduce you all to everyone here with me today as a guest, and we're going to start with Gina. Gina, tell us about a little bit about yourself and how your relationship with dogs evolved and how you ended up doing what you do now. I am a mother of three boys, um, a grandmother. My youngest son is active duty Navy. And for a lot of years, I worked in the medical operations field, uh, also in real estate development. And I was a, a volunteer. I did a lot of volunteer work uh, throughout my son's school, um, outside of the school, um, just years and years of that. And then in 2013, I kind of wanted to get off that train. My son was graduating from high school, and it was a time in my life I decided, what am I going to do? I was sitting in my home and I was Googling, researching, um, going to animal behavior school because I knew that I wanted to spend my time with animals, specifically dogs. I just love dogs, always have. And I wanted to possibly work with people with disabilities. I wasn't sure what. So that afternoon, I ventured out to the dog park with my three companion dogs at the time, and I was just walking around the dog park and I, I like to chat with people and I started chatting with a woman about her shepherd that was there that Ringo that's just absolutely gorgeous and we just struck up a conversation and I, I was telling her what I was doing that morning and she says look at my shirt and I said next step service dogs and she said yeah she says I run a nonprofit. I'm the founder Sally Montruccio and um she said you know she asked me if I'd be interested in coming to the office on Monday to see what it was all about. So over the weekend, I downloaded all the paperwork and I filled it out. And Monday morning, I showed up at a nine o'clock class, um, a training class, and uh, I never laughed. Six months later, I was her assistant. I then got my certification and um, for training. And um, I now am the director, a program director for Next Step Service Dogs. I am 
Tony. I was a client about four years ago of Next Step, came through, got my dog, and like Gina, I just never stopped coming, and they've kind of brought me on in a training capacity, and I share my dog with new people so they know a dog that is doing the right things, and you're not starting from scratch with a dog that is just learning along with you, so they get a dog that's well-behaved, and I've been coming here for about four years. So what does your dog help you with? Um, he provides space for me, like Gina said. I think that's the majority of it. He'll come in behind me when somebody comes up behind me. He'll stand between my legs just to give me the two-point pressure of him sitting in between my legs while I'm standing in public. Uh, he's also been a nightmare interruption dog to where uh, I guess I jostle in my sleep and Bob will jump up on top of me and lay on me and wake me up and interrupt a nightmare. Before I got Bob, my world just kind of shrunk in on me. I would not go out into public. I was missing things with my family. Uh, it, was just, it was just kind of a meek existence. Uh, when I got Bob, he helped me get over the phobias of being in public. Uh, Bob and I learned together how to make each other feel good and I'm able to get out in public. I'm involved in my family. I've taken him on planes, gone across country with him. He just has made my life so much more fulfilling. How soon did you start to see a difference after you got Bob? It was immediate. Bob needed immediate attention. He needed for me to get out. And with tra when I was training with Bob, and again, I never quit coming to training, have an existence and during the covid scare when the school or the covid crisis when the school shut down i find myself i found myself looking for things that i could do because my purpose of training veterans and first responders with dogs was gone i had to find something new and it it was a challenge but i because i had bob i was getting out uh socially distancing obviously but I was getting out and doing things, but it was a change to not have that purpose. What brought you to Next Step in the first place? My wife recommended a service dog and I researched a little bit online. I knew from the VA that they only acknowledge ADI accreditation so that the dogs can be in the VA. And I was going to the VA at the time. So I knew I wanted to be with an ADI accredited organization and I searched and they were within five miles of me. I, they were just in my back door, backyard all along. Well, tell us about Bob because listeners can't see him. Bob is a black lab, weighs about 80 pounds, just full of love. He, one of my favorite things that he does is while I'm standing in public, he'll rub his muzzle up against my knee lets me know he's there and kind of gets me thinking about other things than how close people are getting and what they're saying. So he kind of pulls me out of my head. Uh, my name is Richard. Um, I've recently just been retired from the the Navy as well um, just like Tony 
So I've been in for 22, almost 23 years. Um, and I exited the military because of a medical condition with PTSD. So, so far I just still trying to find my place. And there's that uncertainty of not, you know, trying to figure out who you are outside of the military life. But all through that process is um, when I got my dog. So it was a, it was a big, tremendous help. Give us a little snippet of what life was like before Larry and then after Larry. Before Larry, everything was in its place. Everything had a certain way that it was conducted. My life was structured. My life was pretty much a number, a robot, um, a statistic. So I was still active duty. And that's what I meant by everything had its place. Everything I did was for a purpose, a task. And I had people that I worked for and had people that worked for me. So everything was fine. And then trauma happened. And that's when, you know, your life just turns upside down. I actually found out about Next Step Service Dog while I was in Okinawa, Japan, assigned to one of the support squadron groups over there. And uh, I was currently seeing uh, a therapist for, for PTSD and anxiety. And they recommended that I go to a an outpatient treatment center back here in the States in uh, Point Loma. So I went during uh, 2018 and one of the presenters was a, a lady named Mary from Next Step Service Dog. And that's when I met Gina too for the first time. Uh, she came for one of the sessions. So I got to meet her and I got to meet Chewy at that time, a Labradoodle. He's a facility dog. So that was my first encounter with a service dog. So we had to sit down and listen to the whole program and I was asked whether or not it would benefit me. I said, I, I don't know, I've never had one before, but, but when I came back to the States, that's when I started the program. And then what happened? Funny you should say that. I knew what I wanted in my head. I knew that if I were gonna get a dog, it would have to be a hypoallergenic dog, just have really bad allergies. Started going to, to training and I was training with four different dogs at that time. When I came to Next Step, they already had service dogs that were already trained or have not gone through the access test yet with a handler, a specific handler. So for us that go to the go through the program, we meet the different dogs, we work with the different dogs so that way the director, Gina, can see how the dog interacts with a different individual, uh, the service member, and um, she can basically see uh, who meshes well with the person and the dog as far as personality. And that's how I wound up with Larry, because it's not who I thought I was going to wound up with, but the dog chooses you. And so, you know, because every time I'd come to training, Larry would just get so excited. So it seemed like I was the only one he was getting excited for. So it's like, uh, I couldn't say no. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> but it wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes, but it wasn't a bad thing. It was It was actually, it worked out perfectly. And it's not a hypoallergenic dog. And, and, and it's not a hypoallergenic dog. It's a lab. He's an, he's an English lab. And it does work out the way it's supposed to work out. The way Next Steps program runs, we have dogs, different dogs in training. As trainers, uh, our goal is to train these dogs to be ready to take their public access test. 
During that period, we have new veterans and first responders coming into the program. So when they come in and they start training after their application process and their interview, they're accepted, um, they start training hands-on with the dogs, and they may use, like Tony mentioned earlier, they may train with Bob because Bob is proficient. As weeks progress, they'll start to work with the other dogs in training. And I just sit back and I watch. And um, I usually have an idea, but it's about the relationship, this beginning of the relationship, and is not always the dog that they think it is, more times than not. But when it happens, it's beautiful. And the dog does, I think he seals the deal. He really seals it. I, it's just um, how it works for us, for our program, that's how it works. And it's been pretty successful. Do you have any theories on that relationship? It's interesting to me that a dog would make that choice the dog has an awareness of what they're signing up for yes dogs don't lie they don't have the ability so they're telling us the truth i love how uh, undeniable it is that they have their own personalities how distinct their personalities are and how they can really make their preferences known they definitely have preferences mm -hmm. yeah and and when you're talking about um pairing a dog with a individual a working dog it has to be right the relationship has to be there. It's different. You know, I've many times in the companion dog world, people say, oh, that dog doesn't, you know, doesn't really like my husband. That doesn't work in our world. The dog has to fit with its handler. When it comes to that idea of teamwork, that Gina brought up. Tell us what that's like for you and Larry. So for myself and Larry, I had to mentally prepare myself. Having a dog as a pet is one thing, but I think having a dog that is trained specifically to be with you, to do tasks for you, is a different dynamic that you have. And if you lose that connection, the dog will lose its sense of purpose, just like how I felt like I've lost my sense of purpose when I left the military. So I have to maintain that because the dog knows that you're the only one that's going to feed them. You're the only one that's going to take them out. So you have to work together uh, to maintain that cohesiveness and, and being a team. Uh, so I had to mentally prepare myself for that. And it was exciting, but at the same time, at first it was, it was really hard because I don't think I was mentally prepared to have myself take care of someone because I couldn't take care of myself. And I think that was the hardest thing, especially when you're living alone. But now I think it's gone to that point where I rely on him and he relies on me. I've taken him home in uh, November of last year uh, when we passed our access test. So I had to dog proof the house. I had to make sure that everything was safe within tail's reach because if not, was going to go flying, but that's when the bonding started. But just like a regular dog, dogs will be dogs as well. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Just like my, the first day I took him home, he ate my Korean food and I had to tell Gina about it. And she's like, well, that's your responsibility. <laughs> so I had to get myself engaged. So that kind of gave me back a sense of purpose, at least for having to take care of, of someone like that. But that whole process, we're still bonding. And it's only been eight months, about to become eight months that I've taken him home. But I can see a big difference in the way that I think my mental state, how I interact, and now being able to just leave the house, period. Because I would lock myself up at, at, in the house and not want to do anything. 
you give us an example of how you think differently now? Well, I know at five o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna get a paw in my face and blow in my face because it's time for me to take him out in the morning and his morning routine. But that also gives me my start of the day. Like I have purpose. So now I take him out, I feed him. So if I'm getting up that early, might as well do something for myself. So, you know, I'll exercise now in the mornings. So for at least an hour. And then afterwards, we'll go for a long walk because uh, I know he needs to exercise, especially with COVID, we're all staying in. Uh, so I take him to the park and we spend another hour at the park before I go to school. But that's that's become my daily now. And the way that I think of things, especially when I need to go grocery shopping, I'm not as apprehensive about doing things that I know I need to do because now I know I have someone that can create space for me when I need it. Especially if I'm at a, an ATM machine where he'll post and he'll stand between my legs and face the back so he can see the back. Can you explain why, because you guys talk about the dogs creating space for you in public and watching your back and that kind of thing. Can you explain the significance of that to someone who doesn't know anything about PTSD? It's the number one request from every veteran, every veteran that I interview. The first thing they talk about that they need or would like the dog to do is to create space for them in a crowd. Even going to the grocery store, the ATM machine, going up an escalator, that is the number one request. I think you'd have to speak to them about why. For me, being in public, I'm already feeling uncomfortable. When I'm approaching somebody, I'm not sure if they're going to go left or right which sounds menial, but in my brain, I'm trying not to engage with people. I didn't look people in the face. I didn't want to engage with people when I was in public. I was just out to get the task done at hand and come back. And what I found was, instead of just running through the crowd, I would be able to stop, put Bob in a position in front of me about a foot away from my knees, which kept people back another couple of feet. So there was a space that was mitigated and I would engage with people, I would talk with people because I had that space in front of me. Before the trauma, I would, I considered myself an, an extrovert, an outgoing person. I, um, I was always the life of the party and, you know, I felt like I can talk to anybody. And since the trauma, I locked myself in, I isolated. I didn't even speak to my family much. And I went off social media, completely off for a very long time. So that's how much it has affected. I can't explain it, but it's something that I think about that makes me want to stay inside and not go outside. And it's something that I'm still working on myself. But having Larry, you know, I, I have to force myself to be in that stressful situation where I have to engage and go outside so I can be a little bit uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is supposed to be good for me because if I don't push myself and challenge myself to do things that, you know, I, I don't do now what I used to do before, I don't think I'll ever get better. With my discomfort of being in public and walking around, just the randomness of being outside, walking through a crowd of people, what I found when I had Bob, I mean, before I would just isolate and not want to go anywhere. 
unless I had usually my wife was my first service dog and she would be the one who would be with me hold my hand and was a distraction but when she wasn't around I wouldn't go uh, but when I have Bob when when I first got him I remember being in public but I was worried about where Bob was sitting where he was standing was he in the right position what did I look like as a team did he look like a well-trained dog and that got me out of my head of what was going on around me You said, Tony, that you help as a in training instructor here at Next Step. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you've learned by having that role? Well, I learned that it wasn't just me that felt that way in public. And knowing how a lot of these veterans and first responders are coming in, I've been there. I know I can talk to them one on one. When we're in public and we're doing a test, I know that they're already feeling uncomfortable being there because they're newer to the program and haven't really learned to depend on the dog. They're more putting the dog through its paces so that they, the dog and that person can be in public. So for me, I know what it's like to be in their shoes and I know how to calm them down a little bit and help them through that. It's very rewarding. What do you think it is about dogs specifically that gives them the ability to do this job? I think the dog gets as much from you as you get from them. And the dog can very easily express its love to you. Mm -hmm. Like for Bob, it's him rubbing his muzzle up against my leg, a wag of a tail, look at me. Uh, Bob is focused on my face. When I need him to, I, I say the command here, and Bob will look and stare at me in my face and we'll have eye to eye contact. And just, it takes me out of everything that's going on around me. What characteristics does the dog have to have to be successful in this line of work? The dog needs to be unflappable. We want a dog that's um, going to go out into public that's well socialized, both with the environment and humans and other dogs, and a dog that's not going to react. Having PTSD, there's triggers that you'll react or bring anxiety. We can have a dog that will escalate that rather than um, decrease it. In our program, we like our dogs to be about 60 pounds and plus. When we're, they're in training, we don't know where they're going to be placed. We train the dogs for individual um, needs also. So if a, a veteran has a, a disability that he needs the task of uh, bracing or stability work, um, we would like a larger dog for that. Is there anything you guys wish the general public knew about these dogs that they probably don't know? I think the general public doesn't know that these do they, our service dogs are medical tools. They provide a service and not all disabilities are visible. And um, I don't think people are being malicious when they pet the dog or when they distract it. I think they just don't know. When they see see the dogs, especially with our veterans that are whole, um, they assume that they, they're trainers or that they're pet dogs that they put vests on. They don't understand that all disabilities are not visible and that it's wrong to interrupt them when they're working. Uh, the dog could miss a cue. Uh, that, that could be life-changing. Um, some of the dogs could be diabetic alert or seizure alert dogs. What's the difference between a therapy, an emotional support dog, mm -hmm. a therapy dog, and a psychiatric assistant mm -hmm. dog? 
Okay. A therapy dog is a dog that there's different programs out there that that participates in a program and goes out with its handler, his owner, his owner is typically the handler, to hospitals, reading programs, assisted living facilities, and they offer um, love and comfort to others. An emotional support dog is someone that has maybe um, high anxiety and that dog works for them, you know, helping ease their anxiety. They do not have or don't um, necessarily need to have uh, formal training, okay? And therapy dogs and emotional support animals do not have public access. Only a service dog under the federal law has public access, okay? And a service dog uh, works for a, an individual with a disability and that worker task is directly related to that disability. Under the law, the dog can be self-trained. You can train your own service dog under the law. However, that dog needs to be appropriate. As long, you know, the dog cannot defecate in public, bark, interrupt, um, or you know, have any inappropriate behavior. If they're self-trained, they do not. There's not any test out there that they have to go and pass. I would hope that they're training their dogs to the standards, the public access standards that's available online. But under the law, they're not required to do that. And the public can ask them two questions, can ask a, a, a person with a service dog two questions. Is that your service dog? And what task or work does it perform for you? So there's really nothing to prevent anyone from buying a vest online? Mm -hmm. But this you can time. tell. Uh, yeah. Being with a dog that's trained and being around so many dogs that we've I've been a part of training and certifying, I know when I see somebody out in public with their dog where they put them up on a chair, they're barking in public. Dog is reacting. They're sniffing around and not standing in a heel. They're barking. I mean, there's just a lot of things that I I can point out a fake service dog anywhere. How is that a detriment to society for people to pretend? Someone might say, I want to fly across the country to visit my family with my dog. What's the harm in me buying a vest? As a victimless crime, who cares if I pretend my dog's a service dog? Do you think that... My question is, do you think that it matters? And if well, so, how? One, it could interrupt the work of a service dog that is on on that aircraft. And two, it, it, it's a disservice and discredits the, the work and the tasks that a service dog provides for an individual. It's it's kind of like, um, I, I always equate it to, would you park in handicap? I think when people are out there with uh, fake service dogs and they're not behaving, they're disruptive or inappropriate, and then one of our clients, our teams walks into that establishment with a dog that's very appropriate. They're getting the stink eye because the owner doesn't know. Okay, so, and I can't blame them, but it is such a disservice to the uh, men and women with a service dog that is appropriate. someone wanted to support or get involved with Next Step, uh, how would they do so? The best way is to visit our website, nextstepservicedogs.org. And there's lots of information there, how you can volunteer, uh, how you can uh, donate, um, uh, how you can um, reach us. Thank you guys all for being here today. It was wonderful talking to you.
Thank you for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and a number of other platforms. As I mentioned earlier, I'm your host, Shauna T. I'm a professional photographer, and I'm currently working on a photography project about working dogs. If you would like information about this project, please visit herobeside.me and sign up for the newsletter. Again, that's herobeside.me. Thanks so much. See you next time.